Praise the Lord, everyone. It's great to see you today in the house of God. It's my privilege to be here along with my wife, Pastor Madeline. And I uh, just want to say a big thank you. God bless you. Uh, the sermon for today is a second part, part two, of uh, Dr. George Wood's sermon uh, entitled, Your Life, Your Legacy. Let's say that together and then the line this afterwards. Everybody together. Your life, your legacy. The reach, come on with me, the reach of our lives extends far into eternity. Wow. So let's do a quick uh, recap from when I was here last. Abraham had a son, his name was Isaac. Let's sum that up real quick, okay? Then Isaac had a son, and his name is Jacob. And Jacob uh, would become the father of the nation of Israel. In fact, God changed his name to Israel. And uh, Leah and Rachel are two sisters, and they both end up marrying Jacob. Now, I'm just telling you, this is starting to be a mess when you got two sisters married to the same guy. I'm glad we don't have that custom here today. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Leah is the older sister. She's less attractive. Rachel is young and beautiful. Uh, Now you've got more problems because of this disparity. So Jacob agrees to work uh, for seven years for Rachel and uh, with her dad Laban, who's also his uncle. And uh, then on the wedding night, Leah gets switched with Rachel, and uh, I guess there was a lack of lighting, a lot of veils, maybe too much wine, and uh, and Jacob did not realize the switch had been made until the morning light. In fact, the scripture says, uh, in the morning light, there was Leah. <laughs> oh, my. Uh He worked seven years for Rachel, only to have Leah switch for Rachel at the wedding and wedding night. Literally, Leah's dad pawned her off. And uh, so here's her situation. Leah's situation is her husband didn't love her. Her sister resented her and uh, because she could have baby boys. And Rachel, her sister, was barren for many years. Well, Twelve sons came from these two women and their servant women. Boy, this is just such a confusing mess. Uh, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Let's recap, though. Leah had six children from her body and then two from her servant woman. So are we counting eight so far? And then Rachel had two children, and one of them's name was the favorite son, Joseph. Who had the coat of many colors, and we, we we maybe talk about his story some other time. And then Benjamin. And then she had two children from her servant woman. So eight to four equals 12. And these 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. They went down as a handful of people. When uh, Joseph became the prime minister, they went down to Egypt, and uh, 
And they ended up staying there 400 years. And this handful of people with these 12 different families became 2 million people. And uh, they were crying out to God because now they'd become slaves. Well, that's another sermon. I'd like to preach it sometime. (laughs) Points from last week. God is calling all of us to be the best that we can be in trying and difficult circumstances. That's what Leah was facing. Life handed her some lemon, some lemons, and of course we all know you need to make lemonade. Genesis 29.17 compares her to her younger sister Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. (laughs) Maybe she was nearsighted, lacking the sparkle in her sister's eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beauty. Boy, how about that as an eternal testimony to the disparity between the looks here. Leah had been forced through the custom to obey her father. She had given herself to Jacob and then has to endure two indignities. Her husband Jacob didn't want her. And one week after their marriage, he takes up with with Leah's younger sister and a second marriage. And all Leah can do is stand by and say nothing. Sometimes we're just caught in that situation, folks. An injustice has been done against us, and all we can do is just say nothing. Each time a son is born to Leah, she refers to the Lord. Her circumstances may have brought her misery and a lack of family love, but her view of God was one of trust. She's kind of like the female Job who said, Though he, meaning God, slay me, yet I will trust him. Folks, that is the attitude that we need to have. Don't let your misery cause you to turn from the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Don't let life's misery cause you to turn from the Lord. Leah's story teaches us that the effect of our life cannot be measured within the time span of the few decades that we're here on earth. And Leah's story, like all of ours, fits into this long-range tapestry that God is weaving. I remind you, Joseph didn't know who he was when he was going through slavery and prison, 13 years of it, he didn't know who he was yet. We know who he was because we know the story. Moses didn't know who he was when he, at the age of 40, tried to set the, the Hebrew people free, and then he ended up a fugitive because he murdered somebody. Every time I say he murdered somebody, I hear a phone go off. (laughs) so joseph didn't know who he was moses didn't know who he was the disciples didn't know who they were friends none of us can afford to measure our life before eternity has its say so let's let take a look at leah from eternity well what can we take away from leah's story But we need time and distance to understand what God is doing through our lives. Leah had no idea that her trials would uh, result ultimately in a priestly line that's throughout the Bible and in a kingly line that's throughout the Bible, or that a great deal of the Bible would have been left unwritten without her. And most of all, she had no idea that the Savior of the world on the human side 
ultimately would descend from her DNA. So let's get today's, today's sermon. That's enough of a recap. First point for today's sermon is, let's choose to persevere in life and ministry. Oh, we got a picture. Oh, wow. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. <laughs> let's choose to persevere in life and ministry. Let God write our legacy after our life is over. Let us be found, are you ready for this? Let's say it together, steadfast. Boy, you don't hear that word very often. Let us be found steadfast. Leah represents ministering in anonymity, often in lonely places. Dr. Wood shared uh, when he preached this sermon, he says, all of us have probably seen the photo of the original 300 who formed the Assemblies of God. Let's, uh, let's bring that photo back. Wow. That was in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914. I was there at that very same spot taking the, the picture 100 years later in 2014. And uh, so somewhere in the archives of the Assemblies of God, I'm in the 100-year anniversary picture in Hot Springs, Arkansas. What's interesting is there are 300 there, and then uh, guess how many made it to the 100-year later deal? 301. (laughs) Number one, Hot Springs, Arkansas is a terrible place to get to. You got to fly and you got to drive, it seems like forever. Plus, Dr. Wood charged everybody $1,000 for coming because <laughs> he wanted to have uh, churches built in America. So he took that money and he uh, somehow marshaled it so that churches could be built in the United States. So uh, most people didn't make it. In this uh, picture, uh, we have the names of 250 of the 300 Uh Probably you wouldn't know hardly any of them. Uh, us ministers would know the names of Ian Bell, J. Roswell Flower, Ralph Riggs. But the overwhelming number are God's anonymous saints. Question. Back in 1914, did they realize that a vast worldwide movement would spring out of their anonymity? A fellowship on which the sun never sits. Today, from that motley crew (laughs) in a very kind of base town, Hot Springs, Arkansas was known for its gambling and uh, prostitution. And then in the 30s, the mafia came in and the New York Yankees did spring training. Sounds a lot like uh, someplace uh, here close, close by. So around the globe today, are you ready for this? There are 375,310 churches with over 69 million people that we consider adherents that gather on a weekly basis to worship the Lord. And should the Lord tarry in the next 10 to 15 years, we're believing in the Assemblies of God to have 500,000 churches and 100 million believers. Those early pioneers were people of faith, but I doubt that they saw these numbers coming. I tell you, they made a funny, they didn't make a funny, but it seemed unusual at the time. 
They made a, uh, passed a motion that they would become the greatest evangelizing ministry or fellowship that the world has ever seen. That motley crew of 300. They didn't have hardly any education. Ian and Bill had a doctorate, but everybody else was pretty uneducated. My mom said in those days in the 30s, the preacher would stay about a year because he'd run out of sermons. Then he'd just move on. But the next guy would come because he'd just finished somewhere else. And, uh, and in, in those early days, a third of our churches were pastored by women. We have never had a problem believing that God doesn't look at our gender. He looks at a willing heart. These early pioneers were people of faith, but they didn't see it coming any more than Leah would have seen it coming for her. They struggled to get the work of the Lord going, preaching on street corners, rented halls, tent meetings, brush arbors. Boy, just on the wrong side of the tracks. Basements, garages, church buildings across the tracks. They were despised by many and shunned by the church, the church world of the day. But here's one thing they had going for them. They were full of the Holy Spirit. The early days of Pentecost were difficult. For 50 years, that's five decades, we were known as the lepers of Christianity. No one in mainstream Christianity wanted to be with us. But I'm here to declare to you they had a love for Jesus and a fire of Pentecost. It burned in their hearts. They did not seek what was in it for them, but what was in it for the king, what was in it for the Lord. They laid the foundation and belief and behavior on which we stand today. Only a few of them got into the spotlight. It is God's great army of anonymous saints who did build up the kingdom of God. What you do, what I do, matters. It matters to God. It matters to our family. It matters to our church. And it matters to the generations that are to come after us if the trumpet of the Lord does not sound first. It matters. I don't know, did I share with you folks uh, about my grandmother? Did I share that? Does that sound familiar to anybody? I did share how in 1933 she came to Mother's Day program. Does that sound familiar? Okay. Well, let me just do a quick recap. Okay. Because <laughs> this is, you know, what, what we do matters. So my grandmother in 1933... Uh, and she would get on a kick, of a religious kick, she called it, and she would go to church, and and they would say, join the choir, or teach a Sunday school class, or join the church, and and she said, every time somebody said that to her in a church, she says, you know, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know that's not it, as as wonderful as those things are. And so they ended up in an Assemblies of God church of 25 people in a rented building on the other side of the tracks, and they were there to see their children, my mom, Furl, who was 11, and my uncle, Darrell, 6, and my Aunt Bev, who was a baby at 1. They would go on to have a total of 8 children. Uh, my grandparents did. But at this time, they only had 3. 
And they saw the, uh, they saw uh, a little children's program for Mother's Day. And then the preacher got up and preached on the responsibility of parents to their children. And he preached uh, this, the, the gist of the sermon was, you need to give your children Jesus. Parents, the number one responsibility is to give them Jesus. But that means you've got to have him in your life first. Well, that preacher gave an altar call, and my grandmother ran to the altar. She plopped the baby down in her husband's lap. Her name was Bessie, nickname. His name was Bode. Bode and Bessie Hilgers, a German couple. Huh? And so she plopped down the baby Bev, and she ran to the altar and got gloriously saved. And she worked for the Lord for the next 15 years until she died of a stroke at the age of 47. During that, uh, that sermon, that preacher left within a year. Because remember I said those preachers didn't stay long. But that sermon he preached lived in her heart. And this church was kind of a miserable failure. They had splits. It ended up living, they ended up having service in their home, her home sometime. And, and uh, just, you know, all these terrible things. But she, she said, <laughs> my mom said that she said, because I never met her. She died. I was born in 58, so she passed in 48. So, uh, But she would say this, this family shall work for God. She kept repeating that and putting out her left hand with emphasis. And she thought she was talking about the immediate family. <laughs> but God meant it for something for the generations to come. Today, about 18 to 20 missionaries and full-time missionaries and pastors are in her lineage. She has a gospel reach of over 600,000 people around the world. I just kind of started calculating all the different ministries that are being represented. And here's this woman that really was 15 years in serving the Lord, then she passes. And churches that really shouldn't have made it, and half the time they didn't. So that's why they moved to her house. And just difficult situation, but she persevered because the legacy that we have is greater than our life. And what we're doing here in Overton is greater than what you see going on. Because you're building a foundation and a legacy as a corporate family, and as individual families. Our second point is this. You may be in a place of ministry or life today where you are struggling. Like Leah, you've done your best, but life is not as complete as you wished it to be. Don't lose heart. You haven't lived long enough to see the rest of the story. Dr. Wood, in his book, Core Values, talked about his parents' experience trying to plant a church in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Dr. Wood writes, Two and a half years of my life were spent there from ages 13 to 15. They were incredibly formative years, during which I was baptized in water, taught my first Sunday school class, 
Dr. Wood's parents had returned from China and Tibet a few years earlier in 1948 because the communists kicked out all the missionaries because of Mao Zedong. I don't know if you're a student of uh, history, but the communists took over China, and I think we, I think we had 800,000 believers in China at the time, and we thought, that's it. I'm going to write it off because now the communists have control. Well, we got back in in the 1990s, uh, due in large part to President Nixon's desire to open up communist China. And we found out there were not 800,000 Christians, but 110 million Christians. Because the communists were kind enough to do what the Romans did. They built roads, they unified the language, and uh, then they started persecuting everybody. So everybody fled. Well, Dr. Wood's mom had first gone out to China, a missionary uh, to northwest China in 1924, the Assemblies of God was just 10 years old, but they're sending out people into the world. That's one of the reasons the Assemblies of God has come together, to get missionaries, to combine our financial efforts to get missionaries. Well, in 1932, Dr. Wood's mom and dad met while his dad was itinerating. His dad was 24, his mom was 34. But they were the, the two single, only two single missionaries going up to that part of the world. So I love this, this next line. So the law of propinquity kicked in. Let's say that word together, propinquity. Are you ready? Propinquity. I've been waiting all week to use that word, propinquity. <laughs> and it means you marry who is near you. Of course, they were stuck on the slow boat to China. <laughs> they courted on the boat to China, and they married in Shanghai. Boy, there's a story. <laughs> I don't know if some of you are aware, but Dr. Wood just passed away. He's 80 years of age. He served as our general secretary uh, for a number of years and then general superintendent of the entire Assemblies of God in the United States and around the world. <clears throat> He's telling a story, though, about his parents. They pastored small, struggling churches. And this is his way of a joke. He said, sometimes... Uh, churches were the only form of entertainment permitted to the saints was the annual vote on the pastor. <laughs> and of course, I've already mentioned they didn't stay long anyway. So they came to Jeffersonville, Indiana, resulted from the fact that they didn't have any ministry anywhere. So they couldn't find a pastorate, so they concluded that God must be calling them to plant a new church. Wow. They worked hard in Jeffersonville. Dr. Wood recounted those days. Uh, he's, I'm going to tell them in his first person. And I quote, as he would write, I was mostly alone with them in those days since the youngest child was the last one left at home. Dad worked in a factory across the river in Louisville, Kentucky. I remember him coming home. Uh, I remember him coming home in the late afternoons during the summer when it was 100 degrees outside and about 100% humidity. Boy, that sounds like misery to me. Aren't you glad we have a dry heat? Well, as the older I get, the more I just don't want to be here in the summertime, but anyway. 
He said, we live in the back of a small mission at Chestnut and Graham, and we couldn't afford air conditioning. And I got to thinking about that statement. I don't know if anybody had air conditioning in those days. Um, I know when we moved to Vegas in the 60s, we uh, ended up in North Las Vegas, and that home had a, did not have air conditioning. It had a water cooler. Whew, God help us. That was back in 1962. So he would lay down and get an hour's uh, nap before they'd go out knocking on doors. His, his wife would put a fan by his head to kind of cool him off as much as possible. And they would knock on doors, inviting people to church. He t- George took a paper route. His mom took an Avon route. He used to tease his mom because back in those days, if you wore lipstick, you were considered sinful. And uh, so he, he would tease his mom, oh, mom, she'd come in going door to door with Avon. Are you pushing that lipstick again? <laughs> oh, he was a rascal. <laughs> he said, mom and dad can never get more than a handful of people in that congregations. He said, my parents paid the bills of the church, and after two and a half years, Dad's health broke. He said, my parents never again talked about Jeffersonville. They had had some semi-successful churches in Traverse City, Michigan, Ravina, Ohio, and a church in the northwest part of uh, uh, China has today over 15,000 adult believers but it was a handful of people when they were kicked out, but they laid the foundation. So it's interesting that Dr. Wood, in his keynote address, is talking about his parents' failure. Well, why would you do that? Because God sometimes, years later, can teach us something about something great from failure. Well, after they left, some more assemblies of God pastors, two more came by and they pastored that church, no avail. And then finally, a lady by the name of Reverend Bernice Hicks came along and uh, it all clicked. And she built a church that seated, that it had in attendance 3,000 people and over the years they built 2,000 churches around the world. Dr. Wood has now been back to that church. And, uh, of course, he's talking about back in 2009. He said, I preached there again this past March. And after the Sunday night service, I received a remarkable and instantaneous healing of a torn retina. Said that March evening, I was on the platform of the Jeffersonville Church waiting to be introduced. And my mind, my mind was wrestling with the question, why did mom and dad fail here and sister Hicks succeed? And immediately the spirit spoke to me with this analogy. Your parents kept knocking on the wall at Jeffersonville. They knocked hard. They knocked repeatedly. Their hands hurt from the knocking. But they never broke through. Well, what happened? The Holy Spirit said, your mom and dad weakened the wall. And if they'd not weakened the wall, Sister Hicks could not have broke through. 
Dr. Wood concludes, what the Lord said to me is so consistent with Scripture. The Apostle Paul's message, I think we have a slide for this, yes. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. Do not be weary in doing well, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. So is there a 32-year-old woman that may be coming to this church? Should the Lord tarry and years from now, because you folks have persevered, she has 600,000 souls to lay at the feet of the Father through the people that come from her ancestry. Are you knocking on the spiritual wall of your town, your community, your ministry? but you've not seen the results that you long for and that you pray for, don't be disheartened. Keep knocking. You're weakening the wall, and the breakthrough will come for you or for someone after you. I don't know if we have this next slide. God will not forget your work. And great reward. Did I put that in there, sister? Oh, I messed up. God will not forget your work and great reward waits for both the reaper and the sower. And in Jeffersonville, Indiana, Dr. Wood says, I saw the power of my parents' faith in God and their service to Christ. They weren't in the ministry for fame or fortune. They gave their their best for Jesus. And if you could go back and tell them, Go back in a time warp and tell them that young red-headed son of yours is watching you and will someday be the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God and chairman of the World Assemblies of God Fellowship. They would have been overjoyed. But like Leah, they couldn't see down through the years. and neither, Neither can we. Yet the choices we are making will impact others long after we are gone. May we be found faithful. Pastor Madeline and I have pastored in our church in Vegas for 36 years. And we're only 42. I don't know. We (laughs) We started really young. I have been privileged to see a lot of wonderful things happen in people's lives. Pastor Madeline has too. She's principal of our Christian school. She teaches kids how to read. One day she came across a desk of a five or six year old who was sobbing. And she said, What's the matter? He said, I can't read. I'm never going to be able to read. Boy, that's a resignation right there. Pastor Madison said, oh, you're going to be able to read it. And she could just not get him to believe in himself. So she said, well, you don't have to believe in yourself. You just need to believe in me. She goes, every student I've had has not been able to read, and I've been able to teach every one of them to read. So if you don't believe in yourself, believe in me. And sure enough, within two weeks, he was reading 
hat, cat, rat. You get the idea. <laughs> Sat. <laughs> and by the middle of the year, he was reading sentences. So folks, what is the message for us? Persevere. And if you, don't, if you can't do something, you can't figure it out, know that God can and does and will. You're not going to be the one person in heaven that can go to the Lord and say, well, you really failed me. I don't, I don't think we'll even have that desire to do any interchange like that. But uh, No, God's going to see you through to victory. And if you don't believe in yourself, that's okay. Believe in the God you serve for great things. One interesting fact that gives an exclamation point to Leah's story is this. In Revelation 21, we learn the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are given to the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem. Boy, in the New Jerusalem, the gates are made of pearls. Boy, those are some big pearls. And you know what a pearl's made of? An irritation. Those beautiful pearls are made of a little speck of sand that gets in to the, uh, the oyster and it coats it with the mother of pearl substance until a pearl is formed. Well, in heaven, uh, the gates are so, these pearls are so big that they're going to be the gates. And you know what? <laughs> we are going to be, and uh, six of them have the names of Leah's kids on them. And they stand as a testimony to her life and her perseverance and what God did through her. And so someday we're going to be walking through the gate of Levi, through the, the gate of Simeon and Reuben and Judah. We're all going to be reminded of Leah's perseverance. So the question I have for you today as I wrap things up is, what will stand as an eternal testimony? To your life in heaven. So, well, Pastor David, I don't know. You keep persevering in God. You keep witnessing for the Lord. You keep doing all that you can for Jesus. And you're building a legacy that's going to last forever, just like Leah. Because God didn't leave Leah out, and he's not going to leave us out. So, well, Pastor David, I don't see it. Well, we've already said that Leah didn't see it. The leaders of the Assemblies of God didn't see it, but God sees it and God knows. So I want to encourage you to be a people of, of great, I, I think this slide says it, says it well, don't let difficulty or hardship, sickness or sorrow upend you. Your life has meaning and purpose. Don't fret that you cannot see the whole picture. He does. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> and uh, George used to say to his mom when he was worried about something, she'd now say, now Georgie, it won't matter a hundred years from now. She was right. One hundred years from now, it won't matter where you drive an expensive or cheap car, whether you live in a mansion or a rented room, or whether you buy, buy clothes from Nordstrom or Goodwill. It will not matter if you pastor a large church or a small one whether you preach to the thousands or a handful, 
or we're one-on-one as a chaplain or counselor. What will matter a hundred years from now is the legacy of your life that you pass on to others. And the little saying is true. One life, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So friends, uh, I just want to encourage you today. I've got to get back to my church. I've got to preach on Deborah the prophet. And I am five minutes late right now, so. Pardon? Well, my wife, it's Air Madeline. We're just. (laughs) Well, I just want to preach on. I just, uh, so (laughs) I'll I'll come out again and we'll, we'll fellowship again. I do want to make you aware that we have an annual business meeting coming up. Uh, It's been stalled. Because uh, of the COVID thing and all that. But I think we're going to have a dinner. Trina, help me out here, Mary. March, 30th. March the 30th, a Wednesday night. And uh, so they'll tell you about that, that whole thing. But I'm looking forward to that night. We'll have some fellowship, and I won't have to race back and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, uh, preach a sermon. But uh, I, I just really want to encourage you folks. You've got a great great ministry here and you know I know we don't have a pastor I consider myself your interim pastor and I'm working closely with the 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 advisory committee and that's uh, uh, the three ladies that I've already mentioned here and uh, Trina Mary and Vinette and I just am so grateful for what God is doing here in this fellowship and I think you guys have had pretty good pastors coming out and West Pulpit Supply. Uh, as far as I'm able to determine, you guys are getting the cream of the crop that's in Las Vegas. Um, so I, I assume that you folks like uh, Pastor Ryan Martinez. Uh, he's my son in the Lord. Then uh, Dr. Stan Stewart came, I believe, and got him set up for a number of weeks in the future. And I just want you to know that uh, we can do great things for God without a permanent pastor. And uh, that's what you folks are currently doing. So I commend you for it. And uh, let's not let that limit us. Amen? Well, I feel another sermon come on, so I better, I better, <laughs> I better say, are, are, are we concluding the service? Does anybody know? Let's all stand. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the, the wonderful sermon of Dr. Wood that our legacy is greater than our life. Help us to be people that persevere. Help us to not become weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Lord, help us to build uh, in ministry in people's lives so that what we build will stand as a testimony for your greatness in our life in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.